two, one. All right, happy Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rob with episode number 262 of Shut Up and Grind. And after a two-month hiatus, we are back on track. Because, you know, this show is all about overcoming obstacles. It's about defying the odds. In the last couple months, I had to overcome some obstacles. But this isn't about me. It's about my guest. And more importantly, it's about you, the audience. So for those of you that have been hanging around waiting for us to start recording again, thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for your support. And we'll be back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We'll be going live at 2 p.m. Eastern. And I have guests all over the world. So there are times where I, w- I might adjust the time to fit their schedule. I wish uh, my today's guests got that info because it's 4 a.m. where she is in Australia. But we're going to go through her backstory. We're going to go through some things that she's been through. You, you guys know I only scan my guest bio. So a lot of the information that, that I get on them, I'm getting it, that info in real time. But for what little bit I did see, she definitely has a lot to add to this. And we're going to talk about how to only focus on what you can control. So helping me have this conversation is Brenda Kokiai. Welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Sorry about that little hiccup in the beginning. I guess I guess when I first got your email yesterday, I thought you weren't coming. And so I deleted the broadcast off of Facebook. And so I forgot that I did that. So when I went to go live, it's like, uh, you deleted the post. Oh, <laughs> so, <sorry>. <laughs> so it's all right. So so we'll do the recording and then I'll, I'll, I'll upload it to Facebook. So sure. <laughs> whereabouts in Australia are you? I'm in Cairns, Queensland. Okay, yeah, I got. I probably interviewed a dozen people from from Queensland. I got to say, over the last couple of years, are you originally from there? Oh no, I'm from Papua New Guinea. Ah, okay, all right. What, what brought you to Australia? Oh well, I'm married. My okay. husband is Australian, so um, he brought me and my three boys in 2013. Oh, nice, awesome. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh, it's wonderful. How do you like it compared to home? Well, the only thing, the difference is I miss my family back home. Of course. Uh, otherwise, everything else is a plus. Gotcha. Do, do you ever get to go back to see them? Yes, I do. Um, oh, that's good. The last time I was back there was 2018. And uh, I haven't gone back since, firstly, because of the COVID. Oh, but yeah. this year I'm preparing to go home. Yeah. Gotcha. Didn't COVID hit Australia re- really hard? Beg your pardon? That didn't COVID hit Australia really hard? It it, it did, yes. Okay. Uh, particularly in Melbourne. But mm. um, even me and my family, everyone in my family had COVID. Yeah. And imagine three boys, husband and myself, so there's five. So it was a, a very difficult time. Yes. You know, are you full are you... of uncertainty? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, are you familiar with Ticker News? What's that? So it's a news station in Australia. I remember last year I was supposed to have, actually, I think this was in 2021. I was supposed to have an interview and I was all ready. I was actually dressed nice. And right before I was supposed to go on air, Australia went back into lockdown. So the station had had to switch and go to breaking news so my segment got bumped <laughs> but you know like the show says just shut up and grind keep on moving <laughs> that's right 
<laughs> yes. I had to use some of those techniques I used in the past during the COVID period. Yes. Yeah, it's a challenge, really is. So you've gone through some things in your life as well. So uh, take me through some, some of them. Well, when I was um, 14 years old, there was a Bougainville crisis. And uh, the, it was a, a civil war that lasted for 10 years. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but and I was separated from my parents. I lived with different people. And yeah. I was actually kept as a prisoner uh, wow. by the Papua Defense Force, yes. Wow. And, and, and I was kept as a prisoner for two years. Um, it's only through one of the soldiers that I left my island, Bougainville, and I moved to Port Moresby, the capital of Papua New Guinea. But the process was so, um, even just the process of trying to get out, because this yeah. guy helped me. I, to All be right. honest, I really know who these guys. I've been. Hold I've on, been let's trying back to... up a little. Sorry, sorry, let's back up a little because there's a there, there's a whole lot of questions I have so far. All right, for how old were you when you were imprisoned? I was 14 years old. That's right, 14. Okay, 14. And so now you're talking, you know, a young girl in puberty, high hormones. <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Well, to be honest, I I was just lost. Uh, it was just living day by day, not knowing yeah. what tomorrow would bring. Because every time there was a casualty, what happened? One of my brothers was killed during the crisis. Oh, no. And as a result, my other brother went and joined the military forces. Yeah. So fought against the defense force. And so the Papua New Guinea Defense Force had that information. So they were taking it out on me as a 14-year-old. Gotcha. Wow. Um, and, and, and so you can just imagine what I had to go through daily. Like, I wasn't even allowed food that was circulated in the care centers. And, you know, I had only two dresses for the full year. Oof. So how, yeah. how scary was it? losing your brother and then your other brother joining joining the military to fight in the war it was very scary every single day i waited to be killed oh my god yeah see so one thing i want to illustrate for the audience now it's not to it's not to downplay what anybody goes through you know because mental illness is a real thing depression is a real thing anxiety is a real thing but for the audience, what I want you to take away here, she was separated from her parents as a teenager. One of her brothers was killed in the 10-year Civil War. Her other brother joined the military to fight. There were days she wasn't allowed food, had minimal clothing, and every day she was waiting to be killed. I want you to let that sink in. Like, that's... That's amazing that you got through all that. But now let's get into the how. Like, how were you able to get through that? Well, good question. I I must say that I prayed every single day. Yes. That That's the only thing that kept me going. Because you just imagine yourself. I, I was there as an innocent girl, young. And I was surrounded by people, soldiers with guns. 
how was I supposed to physically defend myself? I knew that was out of my control. Mm -hmm. And I knew there was nothing I can do. But in my quiet times, I, I prayed very hard. You know, I pressed so hard. God, you have to help me. God, you, you have to help me. And I'm so glad I was brought up in a Christian home. Yes. Um, but, but the one prayer that I recited was our father because I was a Catholic. So um, I wasn't taught how to pray as if you're talking to just anybody. We, there were a set of prayers that we said. So our father was one of the, the prayers that I said every single day. And, and, and one of the things was I would just reach out. Yes. You have to help me. I don't know what to do. But the amazing thing was when the Defense for Soldiers, uh, one time they actually came, they wanted to rape me. There were nine of them. Oh, my God. Yes. They had guns. They, they knocked on the door, and I was inside the, this little staff room. It was a school. So when there was crisis, we were placed in that home. Well, I don't know about home, but, but a house where yes. my auntie and uncle lived and my little nephew was six years old. So this defense was, they came around this time, four o'clock in the morning, because I had my other brother-in-law sleeping on the other side of the room. So he was keeping track of the time. So these guys came knocking on the door and I knew they came for me. And you know, I was, I was frightened, but I had to take courage, yes. because I I had innocent people with me in the room, so I was concerned about them. And I I told my auntie and uncle, I know these guys are coming for me, yeah. And if you don't open the door, they're gonna kill all of us. And I said, it's all right, open the door, and let them come and kill me. But the, the three of you, you have to move to the other side. Mm so that they don't kill you by accident. And wow. I, was I, I wasn't crying when I was saying that. I, I just said, move away, because if they kill me, my blood's gonna spill all over you. Mm. So, you know, this same story that auntie, old auntie of mine actually told my parents when the Bougainville crisis was settling, and I'd already left Bougainville then. She told my mom, so my mom is still alive. She knows this story. Yes. But anyway, just getting back again on what happened. So when they came in, they knocked and they were calling out my name. So I, you know, gently went and opened the door and they came in and I saw their guns and they started asking me questions, you know. So your name is Brenda Kokiai and your brother is a, a, a military. So they called them the Bougainville Revolutionary Army. They call them the BRAs. Yeah. I, I said, yes, my brother is in the military. And the reason why he's in the military, because you see, you guys killed one of my brothers. And I said, wouldn't you do the same? You just imagine at my age. I don't know where I was getting this courage from. Mm. I said, if it happened to you, you would definitely do something. If someone killed your innocent brother, you would definitely retaliate. So it's the same with my brother. That's exactly yeah. what my brother is doing. Anyway. And, and what did they say to that? Well, they don't really take note of what you say, mm. you know? Well, I, but, but I must say that they didn't really have a response to that. 
but but and then I I felt them moving closer, closer to me, and that's when I I I I when I became I started to become very fearful because I knew something was gonna happen. Yeah, and then they came in and started slapping me and punching me, and my mouth Jeez. started to bleed, my head, my face was all swollen, um, and then. And you know, it took them until I think close to one hour before they left. But before they did, the guy at that stage he came, he actually came naked. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I know that is because now I'm married, so I know what it's like to feel a man's body. Mm-hmm. So the guy stood next to me, and I could feel it, and I was so scared. Yeah. But but before I started screaming, I said to them. Can you let, let me, oh no, before I went on to that, I just, I was arguing with them about, you know, they're wanting me to go out. And I said, no, I will not go outside. I will stay inside. I will stay inside yeah. the house. So they beat me. They, you know, punched me. There's blood coming all over. And then I stood up and I, I said to them, I would, I would like to say my last prayer. I will not let you rape me. Can you let me kneel down? I'll say my prayer. And then after I finish my prayer, then you can kill me. So the guy came in with the gun. He was holding onto it and he held the gun and he asked me for my finger. And he told me to get the trigger and he put the gun on my head. Jeez. And and you you were still a teen at this point? Yes, I was. Wow. Mm. Okay. So he said, put your finger on the trigger and shoot yourself. And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. I said, no. So I refused. And and then, so he got the bullet. And he said, this is, this is called a bullet. You put it inside. So he positioned the gun in a way that I could put the bullet that goes in the hole. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's called. Yeah, put it in there chamber. and he closed it up. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he said the trigger. And he was, and I said, no. I said, I'm not going to kill myself. But I said, but if I, if you let me pray and I finish, then you kill me yourself because I couldn't do that. Mm. As soon as he did that, he poured a liquid in my mouth. I don't know what the liquid was. So at that point in time, I thought I was going to die. So I just started screaming so loudly. I screamed so loudly that the the guys, uh, they, they call it the Batman of the boss, uh, Batman of the commander. Yeah. It's a military term, the Batman. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's how they refer to this guy. And all of us call him Batman. Mm-hmm. So I screamed as loud as I can, knowing that, you know, I'm not going to make it in life. So what's the point? I, I didn't want to get raped. So I thought I just have to scream. So when I screamed, the Batman of the, the commander heard me some 500 meters away. But he said my voice was so loud that he thought the enemy was attacking them. No kidding. But, but he knew exactly where the noise came from. So he held his gun out. He started shooting in the air. He started running towards our direction. And as soon as these soldiers had this guy... They ran away, and the guy left the gun in my possession. No kidding. Talk about prayers being answered. 
Yes. It's like when it's, I when I scanned your bio, I knew this was gonna be an amazing story, but I wasn't expecting all of this. It's like wow, kudos to you for dealing with that and getting through that as a kid. <laughs> you know, as a kid. Yes. You know, so were were the rest of your fa family members untouched? Oh, by then everybody was still separated. There was still. Uh, away in the mountains where they were running away from the enemy. They were actually running away from the defense force. I was also running away as well, but somehow I ended up at the at the care center because my casualty, all my legs were, were swollen. Mm. I couldn't continue running away, so I surrendered uh, in the defense force camp thinking that my mother was there. Yes. And that's how I ended up in the care center and ended up being separated from them. Wow. So moving on from that incident like what did that do to you psychologically oh well tell you that had it, to be tough oh it, it affected me so much even now you know sometimes it comes up a little bit yes but the one thing is i actually wrote a book it was just launched last year the one thing i found when i talked about it and i wrote it down and I started to forgive them in my heart, I could feel that healing. Yes. I no longer hold grudges against them. So it's, it became like a history. Yeah. Well, it is history now. And that's just how I look at it. But when I look at it, I, I say to myself, I wouldn't have done this alone. Mm. I had to have a supernatural power too to overcome this. How can anyone in my, in my capacity, how can a helpless person like me survive this? It's, it's hard to fathom. Yeah, that's one of those things where, where people, it's like, I'm not an overly religious person, but like my mom and my daughter, we talk about this all the time. It's like, but like there, there has to be something, you know, just to think that everything just formed out of literal, literal thin air, it, it just makes it so difficult to believe. And there are things I've been through in my life. Like in 1994, I was supposed to join the army and I had my, my room cleaned. I was on my last day on the job. I didn't really want to go, but I told, I told my parents, I'm like, either I'm going to go to college or I'm going to join the army. One of the two. And I just decided that college wasn't, for, wasn't for me. And I said, so let me honor my word and let me join the army. And said two days before I was supposed to ship out, I get a weird feeling in my chest. And I was like, what is, what is this? He said, I'm, I'm on the job. A couple hours goes by. The, the pressure is getting greater and greater. You know, my boss ends up freaking out, calls an ambulance. You know, and I end up in the hospital and I ended up with pericarditis, which is the lining of your heart swells. And I had to go to the military processing and they disqualified me from going. And I was like, wow, like. I guess I wasn't supposed to go because that popped up out of nowhere. I wasn't sick. I didn't have any previous previous heart condition or anything. It just popped up out of the blue. And it was just like, how does that how does that just randomly happen? Yes. I don't know. You know? All yes. right. So so back to you. So you said you wrote a book. So now when you wrote that book, how hard was it for you to relive what happened? I didn't think I was going to finish the book. Yeah. I co-authored the book. There were actually 36 authors. Oh, wow. I, 
I I couldn't I didn't think I would ever uh, complete it because when I was telling the story, I would just stop and just yes. cry and 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 just it was yeah like relieving it exactly and uh, mm -hmm. the wounds just started to come out again. Yes. And and I became frustrated. Uh, I I I became so angry and and full of bitterness and but then mostly I was very sad. Yes. Because at that stage, my boys had also turned 14. Yeah. Uh, and whenever I looked at them, I, I just say to myself, at least I'm privileged to look after my boys at the age of 14. Yeah, because when I was their age, I didn't have parents. I was already mm -hmm. on my yeah. yeah. You you have twins? I've got twins, yes. Yeah, so so do I. Mine actually just turned fourteen a couple of days ago. Oh, mine are now seventeen. <laughs> okay. oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, twins are fun. They right, are so, so I want to interject really quick because again, this show is about overcoming obstacles. Oh. You know, and you had said, you know, as you were starting to do your process with your book, that you felt bitterness, you felt sadness, and I always tell people things like PTSD, depression, like those things don't go away. You know, those are things that are going to resurface at some point. You know, like I think about how I lost my father three and a half years ago and we were able we were able to end care and be there for him when he passed. And typically I can talk about it like even here at the house, you know, we'll tell stories and we'll laugh about it. But then there are other days it just hits me like a ton of bricks that he's no longer here. You know, it's, it's just those it's those things that happen. And just what I want the audience to take away is, like I said, it, it never goes away. When it resurfaces, don't be afraid to feel what you feel. Like, it's okay. Take that moment, feel what you feel, and then carry on with doing whatever it is that you're doing. Because if not, you're going to hold it. You're going to suppress it. And then one day, you know, your spouse is going to leave a, a, a spoon in the sink and it's going to erupt into a big fight, you know, because you didn't take the time to acknowledge how you were feeling in that moment. Yes. You know? All right. So, all right. So back to you, you're starting to write, to write the book, you know, you're going through the internal battle Royal. How were you able to get through it? Well, I would stop and just cry, like you said, and just face it. Yeah. Um, but in the process of writing it, I actually wrote a poem about letting go mm. and saying, I forgive you for what you have done. I let you go. And and I talked also talked about the Defense Force uniform and I said, may that green color be a favorite color of mine. Mm. Like it, 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 I was actually amazed at the poem I wrote as well. And, um, and then I, because see, I come from a Christian background. I remembered the cross, Jesus' cross. Yep. And how he bore all that for the sake of humanity. So I had to process mine as well. I didn't just come out and write the book. I would sit back and, and just cry, but get up again and say, but I have overcome this. I must write the story yes. so that one day my children will read it. One day the world will read it. One day the world will know that this is history. Because, you know, this civil war that happened in, in, in Bougainville, in Papua New Guinea, it's the biggest war after the Second World War. There mm. were more than 20,000 lives that were lost. Wow. Yes. 
but but not many people talk about it. It was actually everywhere, um, but I'm not sure, well, how sort of famous it went, you know? Yeah, I haven't heard anything about it. And I've I've they, studied up on all of the wars, you know, Vietnam, Korea, both the World Wars, American Revolution, Civil War, the British Re Revolution, the French Revolution. Like so I but that one has never come up. And this, oh this and this was all recently, like you know, in 2020, early 2021, <laughs> where ev where everything was shut down. So I was like, you know what, let me uh let me just learn some new stuff <laughs> while we're waiting for, for the stuff to reopen again. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so what are you doing now? Like, what's your profession now? I'm actually studying to be an accountant. Okay. Um, but I just took time off because my husband's not well. I was supposed to finish last year. Yeah. But one thing that I must say is I've never let go of my dreams. Hmm. You know, I always wanted to go to a university and study. I've studied. I started when I was back in Papua New Guinea, yeah. um, but then I'm completely because I had my uh, first child then. Um, so when I came out, I thought I, I must still do this. So that's, that's the one thing. And, and, you know, I'm not sort of upping myself or anything like that. But when I was having a conversation with one of my nieces, she did say to me, oh, it's quite amazing that you are not letting your dreams sleep, that you are still doing them. Mm. And I looked and I said, yeah, that is so true. Like, despite all that had happened, I I still have that goal in mind that I've got to achieve this. And I yes. think in the middle of any circumstances, if you don't set yourself any goals, you'll never get through to the other side. It was actually different when I was at the care centers uh, and I was kept there because there's nothing really you can do. If you are imprisoned, you just have to be there in the prison. Yes. It's not like the modern um, prisons here in Australia or Western maybe countries like uh, US and New Zealand and all that where we have the luxury of watching TV and reading books and stuff like that. I used to really want to um, read books, but I couldn't. But the one thing I did, I used to journal. Okay. I used to write down everything that had happened. Yes. And I would have loved to look at my book and look at what I had written because I had only completed grade seven then. So I don't know how my English mm. was and my grammar. But mm -hmm. my auntie that I lived with told me, she, she noticed I used to write. And she said to me, Brenda, you better dispose that book. Because if these soldiers come and find out you are writing things, they we are all of us are going to be in trouble. Yeah. Wow. And I think that was wise because Absolutely. it's true when they came to beat me up that night or rape me they searched everything in the house wow and i, I burnt it one week before the soldiers came in to uh, do whatever they wanted to do yeah, yeah. so i'm going to ask you a question it's good it's going to sound like it's coming out of left field but given the intensity of what you went through is there something that you can look back on and laugh about it and laugh about it. I had overcome it. I mm. I came out of victory. Good answer. Even though they were bullies, nine people with guns, I can laugh at them and say, well, you didn't do what you wanted to do. Yep. And yep. a little 14-year-old actually turned you around. Yep. They didn't break you. They, they didn't, didn't break, break you at all. They probably bent you a little, but, but they didn't break you. They didn't break me. They thought they over powered me, but they didn't. I should have beat them. 
Mm-hmm. I, and so I do. So do, do you speak on platforms? I don't really share the story. No, not really. I, oh, I'm, you should. I'm a bit of an introvert. I sort of keep things to myself. But the only time I really said something was um, when the, the book was announced. And also, mm. actually, during Bougainville had its referendum. And I went to vote for yes. We, well, I want us to have a referendum. I was interviewed by the ABC radio here in Australia. So that yes. was the first time my story was aired. Oh, and that was, it was the most difficult as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, because if you don't do it a lot, that's why. It has nothing to do with being an introvert because the way you're telling the story right now, you're fine telling the story with a little, with a little bit of fine tuning because uh, I'm also a storytelling coach, you know? So like with a little bit of fine tuning, because I, I, you got a lot there. Like, and, you know, we've only spent 30 minutes together, but you, you, like, I have a page and a half of notes over here. Like, there's a lot of stuff that oh. you can expand on with that story. And what I always tell people when it comes to storytelling, it's not so much what happened. It's how you get through everyday life in spite of that happening. Like, that's where the power is. And that's where the audience is going to connect directly with your story. And just from, from you having a soldier put a gun to your head and putting your finger on the trigger, like that moment alone is mm -hmm. going to captivate the audience to be like, wow, They're like, and I think I had problems, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you're going to, you're going to help people self-diagnose by going through what you went through. And then just the more you share it and the more you share it, you're going to get better at it, you know? Yes. So like, like if you want other opportunities, I have, at least at least a dozen other podcasts I can connect you with. Because again, like the more practice you get, the better. And then if you want, I can help you create a pitch to get you on national, international news. And then and then like it just use that story to inspire other people. That would be oh, I would be so grateful for that. All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah, we could talk more about that offline. So let people know where they can get your book. Give us some final words and like what you want the audience to really take away from this episode. You can find me on Facebook. I'm under Brenda Kokiai. I'm also on LinkedIn under Brenda Kokiai. Um, the book, unfortunately, I'm, I don't have a website to it. But if you if you send me a message, I can I can connect you to where you can order the book from. Um, but the final message I would say about the, the, my whole, um, what had happened to me is you just take one day at a time. Whenever you are in a crisis like that, you never try to overthink things. Just, just deal with the daily. Uh, yes. whatever that happens to you on a daily basis because if you don't it's going to overwhelm you so j just what, do what you can in your capacity on a daily basis and never try to think too far particularly if you're going through something I also became a single mom even after that and I mm -hmm. think the crisis had a lot to contribute to it right now I'm I'm much better because I can say that I have been healed and I've been taken care of by my, my now husband. Um, and the other one, the other thing, you never stop believing 
yes in doing good and just just continue to be kind even in the middle of that situation but the most i think the most important thing i would say is prayer kept me going so if you're not religious you just you just imagine my story and you just imagine if i wasn't a believer how was that going to turn out i i somehow felt that there was a supernatural power inside me because i know i alone couldn't have done anything how can a 14 year old face up to all these people in the way they were treating me yeah. there has to be something and the more i had the dependence on on that supernatural power the more that it elevated me because i knew my fight my battle my my fighting thing could only just last for a little while yes but as soon as i began to surrender and say lord i cannot do this anymore you have to help me i i couldn't feel that overwhelm anymore because you can get really drained if you're fighting hard yourself absolutely and believe me i have gone through over burnout as well awesome and there were and there were times i said let them kill me i've had enough don't think i had this positive attitude all the time there were times i wanted to give up but each day i was alive i knew there was another day to look forward to and i enjoyed each day as it came just to be alive Perfect. Perfect. I hope that makes sense, but that's just does. what I want. It does. Yeah. yeah if, if it didn't make, make sense, I would have jumped in a minute ago. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. Well, mm -hmm. thank you for taking the time and getting up at 4 a.m. Australia time. So I appreciate that. So if I have you on in the future, we can adjust the time so so you don't have to get up so so early. But sure. um I do appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story. And, and I'm telling you, if you want, if you want help getting getting more more clarity and getting more practice telling it, said so we can talk more about that offline. But I think the audience is going to get a lot out of this because there are people that are far more stressed out who have gone through way less than you have. And for you to sit up here and talk about forgiveness and having a positive attitude and be kind. Like that's a message that the world needs to hear. So thank you for coming here and sharing it. All right. So don't sign off yet because I'm. I want to talk talk to you uh, once I stop recording. All right. So say goodbye to the audience, and I'll see you in a moment. All right. So if you if you're catching this late, you definitely want to go back and listen to this story. So like I said earlier, when I scanned her bio, I knew this was gonna be be powerful. But I wasn't expecting this. Like this is which I, I had the extra half half an hour to dive deeper into the story. But we'll see if we can schedule a time, have her come back on, and have her tell more of that story. Because to go through what she went through and to have that kind of attitude about it, that's powerful. And these are the stories that I share on this episode, on this show. I should say it's about overcoming the obstacles and defying the odds. Imagine being this close to death. And now you're an author and you're speaking on international podcasts like that. That just shows you the power of belief. So I'm going to leave you with that message and I will see you guys on Thursday with Mr. Martin Sharp. Have a great day.